Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Only Stupid Answers, the best thing podcast you can get your little ears into. Happy self quarantine everybody. <laughs> Hopefully you're doing all right over on your end, wherever you are in the world. It's, uh, you know what, being totally candid, it's uh, anxious times right now, but we hope that we can bring a little light into your lives with a new episode every Monday. And if you're a part of our Patreon, you can join us for as low as five bucks a month. Um, but also, if you're like, hey, I gotta say a little cheddar cheese, go over to youtube.com slash onlystupidanswers, because we're gonna be putting out uh, edited versions of this episode as well as some patreon content to give you a little tease a little uh surprise uh of what's in store over there for new shows but enough with the plugs dj yes who who are you i, I am dj wolter i'm the co-host of this show uh for anybody just checking us out for the first time uh i again like san said i hope you are taking care of yourselves and yeah we've had to kind of rethink our um strategy because you know the world world's changing right now um so we are in remote locations undisclosed undisclosed locations uh virus is not gonna find us gosh dang it um no you that's how it works but uh so since a lot of the movies we were supposed to be reviewing supposed to be discussing have kind of um are not happening are not hitting theaters uh i wanted to re i was i was thinking about what i could watch um while we're all quarantined and what excited me and um and I'm a big fan of Quentin Tarantino. And it, we, so we decided to do a new show called uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, and a big part of Quentin Tarantino, we're going to go through his whole catalog of films, um, all the canonical stuff, no natural born killers, sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so we're going to go through all those. And a big, big part of the Quentin Tarantino ethos is double features. So Sam will also be picking a movie that is is at least tangentially connected to the core concept behind the movie we're discussing. So this week we're talking about uh, Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino's first film, and that is a heist movie. So Sam uh, selected another heist movie. Uh, Sam, what did you oh. choose? Oh, one of the greats. If you remember, early aughts. For me, that's young kids. That's Danny Phantom on Nickelodeon, SpongeBob as well. Good times. Had by all and good times at the cinema because Marky Mark, The Incredible Hulk, uh, the Twenty Four Guys Dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, the female <laughs> lead in Hancock, uh, the wow. creative robot chicken, uh, all the greats, yeah. <laughs> please, and uh, the guy from the spinoff from Fast and Furious. Yes, all of them are teaming up mm-hmm. together to pull off a heist movie. If you can connect the dots on all those characters, please tweet them at me. Yeah. we're talking about the two thousand three remake of the italian job i won't do that again <laughs> promise <laughs> won't do it again promise you better do it again no yeah I, so so that's the other highest movie we're discussing but before we get into that sam what are you yes. in? we like to start every episode what are you into this week so i'm all you know even though it's called quarantarantino we will only lightly talk I, I i will only lightly talk about uh you know the sadder aspects cuz i my goal right now is to make sure you guys have a little distraction a little positivity but i will say the way my life has changed uh this week has not been 
uh, my favorite, but it hasn't been the worst. Yeah. I am now working from home for my new job, and I was last week. I was going in one day a week, and it was very spooky because I, I most I can uh, say is that it's for a production house, and I'm helping in post. Yeah, and the uh, normally there's like 200 people to like 300 people on this floor, so there's always people moving around, and there were at most 10 people. In an enormous office, so it was very spooky. And now, since Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, has stated that uh, it stay at home, so not all non-essential businesses have been shut down, I am now working fully from home. And uh, I think it's, next week's going to be interesting seeing how I just not having that one day to go out. Yeah. Uh, to get outside where I wasn't like interacting with anybody and I wasn't, I was making sure I was using my, uh, my elbows to push on elevator buttons and opening doors and such. So I was being safe, but like now it's, uh, we'll see how it goes. Also the rain paired with, uh, this, this, uh, pandemic right now has not been super helpful for moods. Yeah. So I've been a little bit, been very bummed. Uh, but, uh, a good way for me to get distracted by that is by checking out new shows and also reading. And after we had Zach Eubank on to talk about uh, the Bloodshot movie as well as the, uh, the Valiant uh, Comics universe, I re-downloaded a bunch because right now this is a recommendation for you guys if you'd like to uh, read a bunch of comics or check out comics that you wouldn't normally. Comicsology Unlimited is, a, is 7 bucks a month. Yeah. And you get a huge catalog of Marvel, DC, Indie, Valiant, anything you can think of, they, they've got a lot to offer. So I started checking out a whole butt ton of Valiant comics. I reread Secret Weapons, which I highly recommend. Yeah. For any of you guys who missed our last episode, it's just the, the pitches uh, in the Valiant universe. The X Men are even more um, like powered people are even smaller uh, group of popu- of the population, and to do so, you have to go through a very expensive elective surgery. And you won't know what powers you get. They just start to manifest like the X-Men do. And sometimes those powers are not that useful. So a bunch of these younger people were shipped off to a campus because they were deemed a loss of investment, and which is horrible. And now they've escaped, and now they're trying to live their life, and they create a team of these people with... Uh, not that convenient of powers, <laughs> and it, it like one person can talk to birds, and you're like, well, what can you, what do you do with that? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you, uh, one person can conjure anything they want, but and like anything, and but they don't get to control when or what it is when it happens, which is it can be like you see him immediately get fired from his job because a gun appears in front of him, and it's like a big sci-fi gun. He's like, I. I I can't explain what this is super cool I started reading Faith I downloaded Unity Uh, I was reading Quantum and Woody which is one of your recommended comics big Um, fan so far, so good. Really like both characters because Woody blows. <laughs> Woody, <laughs> Woody's a Woody blows. Um, but also, uh, gotta read my regular old comics. Uh, new releases this week: Deceased, um, Unkillables, which the pandemic going on is yeah. a weird choice, Time but I did really weird. enjoy it because it's zombies in the DC universe. And I don't. Did you, have you picked it up? Or are you planning to pick it up? I, yeah, we'll see. I have obviously. Um, I have not had a chance to go to the comic shop uh recently um but i will say that uh danny m said unkillable's issue is freaking great he says that in the chat uh one pitch i'll give you uh zombie mirror master but he can still use his gun oh jeez, um, which is uh, a nightmare um so it, i highly recommend it super cool x-force i'm really digging what, what they're doing with that book i know cool. you are more you're kind of i know you're limiting the x books you pick up but yeah. a really big fan jimmy olsen awesome uh, just a bucket of laughs. 
uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy uh, by Al Ewing. It, it uh, they're picking up where they left off with issue two, uh, but also they're de- they're kind of expanding on Half World, the world where Rocket Raccoon comes from, where it cool. seems like animals mixed with like tech, but they're smart. Love it. Uh, there's a bunny. I think it's called. His name is Blackjack. Mm. Who's another four hire assassin that's been hired to now go after Rocket Raccoon. And I think he's teaming up with one of the teams of the Guardians because now we've got Gamora and Drax and that team. Now you and Groot. Then you've got uh, the the new ones like Moon Dragon and Marvel Boy and uh, what was it Nova? Like that's yeah. a different team. It's cool. Like, it's so far so cool. Uh, so far so cool. Uh, big fan of that and i did have the chance to uh team up with universal for the home release of invisible man and the hunt and i do recommend 20 bucks you'll get to be able to rent those movies for two days Uh, i recommend you guys doing that because onwards also out and that'll be on disney plus in the first week of april but invisible man was such a treat to rewatch. had not seen the hunt we weren't able to uh get a press screener in time to go watch that uh i if you are a big fan of like slashers like over the top bloody action films. Yeah. I would say that, that to go check out The Hunt because it was it was not a bad watch. It's cool. not amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did but I did have fun watching it. I think Hilary Swank, if you wanted to cast her in like a Marvel or a DC property, make her a villain because she would be perfect. Like Great. she's a she has she has this laugh in the movie where you're like because uh, it's not like a cackle or anything evil. It's like her laughing at someone trying to tell her not to do something and you're like no you're you're like a real if i heard like elon musk or like a tim cook laugh like this you're like oh my god (laughs) he's that's a bad man (laughs) that's a bad man um and so and she did a great job with that and uh the action in the movie is is pretty creative uh a lot of a lot of cool hand-to-hand combat that uh was captured uniquely and i would be interested to see what this director does next so anyways so there's some cool opportunities right now to check out comics you wouldn't normally or TV shows you wouldn't normally or movies you wouldn't normally uh, that I think you guys should take uh, that opportunity to check it out. And also, if you guys are playing Animal Crossing, uh, I'm trying to save my money right now because uh, money's a little tight, but I, I think I'm going to get that. So I'll, I'll see if I can put together like a room, like an island that we could add to the Discord that they could join. So we have a little community in Animal Crossing. That'd, That'd be, be great. Fun. It's also worth pointing but out I'd- that um, The Hunt was written by Nick Hughes and Damon Lundeloff. Both from, really? from, yeah, both from uh, <laughs> Watchmen fame. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, that's uh, also it's fun. How many famous people are in that movie that they just blow away? Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, but anyways, that's I. I just spieled a lot because I've been. Uh, in this house for a long time. What have you? <laughs> what have you been doing? Uh, so in the chat right now, uh, Terry Fournier is said he's listening to audiobooks of the Dresden Files, uh, cool. narrated by James Marsters. Um, that's really cool. Uh, it's about a wizard PI in Chicago, I believe. There was um, a Dresden Files TV show on Sci-Fi, which starred uh, Black Canary's dad from Arrow. Um, I watched the first episode and it was um, not good. But I, <laughs> even as a kid, I was like, "Oh, this is bad." Yeah, uh, this is a bad show. So uh, and also, da, 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 Danny was talking about Betty Gilpin in in the Hunt and how that's that's real great. Um, yeah. So for me, a uh, couple things. I finished um, Altered Carbon season two, um, mm-hmm. starring uh, Anthony Mackie. Um, uh, he's, uh, he's taken over as the, um, series lead from Joel Kinnaman and no knock to Mr. Joel Kinnaman. He was very good in 
the killing, uh, and I think he's a very talented actor. Uh, I think Anthony Mackie does a better job with the role in season two. He's it's um, he's able to add some fun human dimension to it. Um, and the first season, speaking of like genre with PI stuff, the first season is very much like noir detective with this cyberpunk world. And season two pretty much gets rid of all of that and goes straight into like big epic sci-fi bullshit. Um, but it's fun. It's a, it's a fun show. I think the premise is really cool for people who don't know. It's supposed to take place like um, like a few hundred years in the future where basically – Three he, years in the future. Three years. Dude, I saw that um, when they were promoting Westworld, which I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Westworld. But like I felt bad for all the people trying to promote that shit with everything that was going on. But it said like it's that's the show's supposed to take place in 2058. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> that's 30 years in the future. Fuck off. Anyway, sorry. I'm not going to get off on that. Um, uh, Ultra Carbon takes place like 300 some years in the future, and a consciousness can be loaded into this thing called the stack, which is in your spine. Um, and so you could, your body can die, but as long as your stack remains intact, you can get a new body if you're wealthy enough to get a new body. And so a lot of it's it's about um, class disparity with these people called meths that can basically have their consciousness downloaded to backups and they have clones of their bodies. So it's almost impossible to kill them. Um, whereas uh, poorer people, their stack could just sit on ice for centuries because nobody gives a shit. Um, so the premise is interesting. It, it's They do fun things where like the um, Kovach, who is the main character played by Anthony Mackie, He's been through a bunch of different bodies, even from season one to season two, obviously. Um, but like once a season, they find a way to bring back one of his old bodies that he has to basically fight himself, which is always interesting. Um, and his relationship to this like um, kind of messianic um, revolutionary figure is really interesting. And so it's just it's they do cool stuff with AI and all that stuff. That's that's fun. And, and uh, I will say the season one and season two, excuse me, ended on a pretty bold choice that they at the very end start to walk back, which I think is kind of bullshit. I wish they'd stuck to it. Um, but I think overall that was a, that was a fun. I, it's something I enjoy watching. It's not as like bug nuts fun as like the Witcher is. Um, mm. uh, but it is entertaining. The other thing on the, on a more serious note is HBO, um, has started dropping the new David Simon series, um, the plot against America, which is based off of an alternate history book written by Philip Roth. Uh, Sam, are you familiar with the plot against America? Someone just explained it to me, but I can't remember it right yeah, now. Yeah. So basically, um, around the start, around world, when World War II is happening, but America is n- not involved uh, yet. Um, a one of a, an American hero, uh, Charles Lindbergh, he did a transatlantic flight and broke a lot of records. And he he uh, he also invented some stuff. He he's legitimately a nat- national hero. Around this time. Uh, in our actual history, he was. Um, it, it became evident that he was basically a Nazi sympathizer. Um, he spent some time um, over in Germany on an American mission, like a diplomatic mission. Um, but it's it's apparent that maybe he he was a big believer in eugenics, um, and. Uh, so he was talking out about against the war and that's how he kind of couched his opinions like, hey, let's not get in the war, which was the opinion of a lot of conservative people like we don't want to get involved in the war, which uh, independent of political beliefs, I could I could imagine coming out of World War One being like, yeah, I don't want to do that again. Are you kidding me? No, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> uh, so it is an understandable stance. Um, this posits the idea of what if Lindbergh had run for president 
and um, won the presidency uh, against FDR. And um, and so suddenly it follows um, uh, a Jewish American family in New Jersey um, and how they start to feel isolated in their own country because Lindbergh is now president. And even though he's not overtly saying like, yay, Nazis, it's his, his rhetoric inspires that. Uh, it is worth noting that this book was written in 2004. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, unsurprisingly, people have been revisiting it more recently. Who knows why? Um, and Couldn't say. And of course, anytime David, David Simon did The Wire, he did The Deuce, um, he did um, Show Me a Hero, um, a bunch of shows that I, I dearly love. And so whenever he's doing something new, I try to check it out. And the first episode's a little slow. It mostly is just introducing you to this family. Um, Lindbergh has not won the nomination yet. He's not even, he's not even running for president yet. It's just kind of a snapshot of that time. But of course, like, uh, like Zoe Kazan is in this uh, show, Winona Ryder, um, uh, David Crumholtz, John Turturro, like the cast is like A plus, really good, um, really interesting. And I think that's a, that's a thing that people loved about the book is that it was kind of on top of being this alternate history thing it was a kind of a snapshot because um, the author uh, uh, Phil Roth grew up in that time, so it's kind of a snapshot of him growing. In fact, in the book, it's the Roth family is the name of the family, um, so it's kind of a snapshot of what it was like growing up in that time um, with uh, somebody like Lindbergh espousing like they they even do a speech um there's a speech in the show that is verbatim a uh, speech Lindbergh gave where he's like listen i understand why um uh, the jews and and uh the people in britain want us to enter this war but we shouldn't i respect both the jewish race and the british race like that's that's literally verbatim something he says and you're like oh wow this guy's fucking bananas um so uh, you can understand why living in that time Jeez, like right before World War World War Two, it's already harrowing. Um, but I think it's it's the show's dropping at a at a challenging time because I don't I don't how do you is is your Sam is your go to with stuff like this is your go to escapism or do you like to kind of like because um, I saw uh, uh, a movie critic I follow um, talked about how she likes to like watch horror movies and stuff like she leans into the curve. Like when, when scary stuff's happening, she watches scary stuff. Are you kind of like escapist or do you kind of like try to like confront it head on? No. Uh, I mean, I don't, I mean, I get, I get, I can understand that point. I don't know if me confronting a scary movie is going to make me understand the the feelings I'm having better. Yeah. True. Uh, but that's, that's me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's not, I'm not going to like have a revelation watching Freddy versus Jason and be like, wait a second. <laughs> wait, wait a second. We will get through this. <laughs> but you're not, wait, you're not going out and watching like contagion or like, uh, the wreck movies or no, something I, like that. No, but I, I'm not, a, I'm not, it, it's more about where I'm living right now. And cause I'm living with a couple people and I, and I, and trying to make decisions as a group, uh, of like, Hey, as a group, what would we all, and it's like, we're trying to do as much together as we can. Um, so sometimes you need to, you may need to make some really heroic decisions of what movie to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it would be that in this situation, a happier movie or a comedy or something like that, where like we watched Knives Out last night yeah. and like, that's a fun, that's a movie where I'm just thoroughly entertained. It's not a, a full comedy. Like there is drama and there's suspense and there's a little bit of violence and everything. And, uh, that being said, I, I think right now I am leaning towards more escapism because of my circumstances, but I'm not, 
it, it's only because I, I want to do what's best for everyone I'm around right now to make this time as easy as possible. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not, it's not right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's merit, uh, in both. It just depends on what helps you, like you were saying, Sam, like what helps you articulate or, or, or handle, um, what you're going through right now. So if you're one of the people that is not, is trying to just find an outlet, um, plot against America is probably not for you right now. <laughs> um, you know, it's, and also just with everything happening, like if, uh, it, it sounds like really interesting, it sounds really cool. Like the cast sounds amazing and I do want to check it out, but it's like, if the outsider premiered right now, it's like, fuck no, I'm not going <laughs> to watch not the outsider. Are you in, or if, like, imagine the first episode premiered tonight and you watch it and you're like, <laughs> yeah. that little, bo- that little, bo- that little boy got, got blended up. <laughs> that little boy sure got, did. that little boy, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, so it just kind of depends on what you're into. I'm in a position where I'm not, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Like any, I'm, I think I'm so thankful that Better Call Saul started dropping before all this happened. And if you're, I'm crossing my fingers that we're able to get through the whole season. Like the whole season was in the can before it started airing, so that we get all of Better Call Saul before things go up. So like anything good, I'm going to check out, even though if I were able to like just uh, be more selective, maybe I would wait a little while to watch plot against America. Um, just cause it is a little bit on the heavier side. And like you said, Sam, like maybe outsider wouldn't be my number one go-to in a time like this. Um, but yeah, that's, you, it, but if you want to confront your feelings on this administration, Hey man, plot against America is for you. It's, it's right there. It's on HBO and like pretty much everything on HBO. It's fucking great. I'm kind of bummed that, um, I really like a good outlet for me in these times is the the John Olivers, the Seth Meyers, the Stephen Colberts, and all of them are pretty much. I mean, they're doing stuff from their homes, but it's of course they're not they're not doing their shows because they can't. But it's like that that was my outlet, like that was my mm-hmm. that was my kind of my feel good comfort food, and now that's that's not around, so that's kind of bumming me out. Thank God uh, we still got some Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, no, same. And also uh, to that note, uh, Steven Universe, but I'm bummed. I'm, I can't, again, beggars can't be choosers. They didn't plan for this. They want, what they wanted to do with this final season was to front load it with the easy stuff, hinting at a more serious problem and trauma to deal with in the back half. But now we're in the back half and we're only dealing with like serious mental and emotional trauma that a kid's gone through and really diving into it. So this week, by the way, people, I, you know what? I, I'm going to do it right now. I have I have the Discord app on my phone. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. I'm going to make a Steven Universe chat so we can go talk about it because this week was heavy, to no. put it lightly. And um, it, it's I'm still happy it's here. Just a bummer of the timing. Also, speaking uh, of the Discord app, um, you can join us. Um, anybody on Patreon.com slash Answers can join us on the Discord. Uh, we started a quarantine thread for all of us. We're all quarantined together. And we wanted to create kind of like a space for all of us to be able to talk, talk about what we're doing, talk about um, the things that are bringing us joy, bringing us talking about escapism. But we can also talk about, you know, the stuff that's that's scaring us or worrying us. Um, We have a really lovely, beautiful community on our Patreon. And we wanted to create a space for you all to since we're not able to meet with our friends in person right now um we're not able to get out as much as we'd like create a space that we can kind of go to and be there for each other i agree and it was really cool that you put that together and um 
uh, yeah, no, I'm going to be popping in there more just because I'm in front of my computer a lot right now. Yeah. So we will, I'll be there to talk. Uh, also, um, I did want to give a special, uh, just a thank you to Maggie Whitmer. Uh, it was, uh, she's a big supporter of the show. Her birthday just happened. And oh she, yeah. Uh, she's got a lot going on right now and, and, uh, uh, just with, with her and her life. And I just want to say that I appreciate her and also all of our patrons for always being so supportive of us. You guys are sweethearts. And I, if there's anything we can do through the Discord or through uh, this podcast that we have and this platform that we have, let us know uh, because you guys are the best. 100%. So on that note, just want to say, Maggie, if you want to talk, we're all on the Discord. We can all, we can all have a chat. So, uh, yeah, just you're not, you guys aren't alone. We, yeah. uh, we, we got you. Uh, and also we got movies to watch and talk about. And we can all do that together as well. We talked about Gargoyles this week. Yes. As a cartoon. <laughs> it's a darker cartoon than some, but it's, it's kicked ass. It's still, it's still kicked ass. It. Yeah, then you can. Yeah, we, uh, we got a review of that on Patreon. And there's going to be a smaller, there's going to be a different version of the review up on our youtube channel later this week so keep an eye out for that it'll be it'll be a fun one yeah so before we dive into now we're going to dive into uh first episode of quarantarantino uh but before we do that let's say hi to our uh friend that's an ad Yes, we do love the sponsors of this show, and we really want to give a special shout-out to Keeps. Now, two out of mm-hmm. every three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. The good news, though, with today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep your hair you have at half the cost of your local pharmacy. You don't have to go broke to avoid going bald. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of you may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Plus, Keeps now offers a prescription shampoo to keep your scalp healthy. And prevention is key. Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save, so act fast. Many men have even experienced hair regrowth with Keeps treatments. Now, hey, being totally candid here, I've noticed a few little bear patches. Not spare patches. I would love spare patches. I got a few bear patches. And I've been using Keeps, and so far, so good, gang. I uh, am two months into it, and I've really appreciated how clear and concise they've been with expressing how to use the treatments that I was given. And they're really easy to integrate into my uh, like daily routine when it comes to like brushing teeth. Do a little, little treatment, take a little pill, and use a different type of shampoo. It's super easy. And Keeps has revolutionized the way men are treated for hair loss. Thanks to Keeps, you no longer have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now you can visit a doctor online and get your hair loss medication delivered to your home. No more waiting rooms and no more pharmacy checkout lines. Get doctor's attention and discreet drug delivery all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any other of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatment starts at just 10 bucks a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's one heck of a deal for getting to keep your hair. DJ, what's that deal for them? Listen, man, you know, it says two out of three guys. They're talking to two of the guys right here. Also, you know what? Uh, the more you can do from home and do online, the better right now. I think we can all yes. agree. <laughs> so if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash stupid to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash stupid. Remember, that's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash stupid keeps.com slash stupid go check it out today 
Thank you, Keeps, for supporting this show. Now back to the episode. Yes, let's hop into Quarantine Tarantino to episode one. 20 minutes into the episode, it's finally starting. Let's go ahead and get going. Uh, we're talking about Reservoir Dogs. That premiered in feature uh, film theaters everywhere around the world in 1992. Sorry, had to vamp until I found the date. Um, quickie synopsis for the folks at home. When a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to su- suspect that one of them is a police informant. Written directed <gasps> by Quentin Tarantino, starring Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, uh, Kurt Baltz, uh, and Quentin Tarantino himself. A lot of other amazing actors. DJ recommended this as our first start because, of course, this is the directorial debut for Quentin Tarantino. Yes. But also, I had not seen it, so this was a this is a very cool experience for me. But DJ, dive into the history for you with this movie. When did you first check it out? And uh, when did you fall in love with it? Well, I think like a lot of people, um, my first exposure to Tarantino is um, in college. I think that's where a lot of like a lot of young boys my age discovered it's discovered it maybe when they were when they were younger. Um, but uh, when I was in college was uh, a time where I was able to because when I was living in my parents' household, you know, that was it was a more um, uh, conservative household. So like it was mostly PG 13 fair, but when I went to college, all bets were off. And so that was where I first started oh, yeah. watching, uh, Tarantino. I saw children of men. I started watching Martin Scorsese films, uh, stuff like that. And, uh, unlike most people, I think who came to Tarantino late, I think most people, their window is Pulp Fiction. Um, cause that is probably his most famous early film. Uh, but Reservoir Dogs was the first one I watched and still is, um, one of my all-time favorites. And I think it's partially one of my all-time favorites because of the relative simplicity, the straightforwardness of the plot. It's just, it's not, it is a heist movie in that it revolves around the heist, even though you never actually see the heist, all the, all it's all building up to and the fallout of the heist. But it's just these guys trying to solve a, a, a dilemma of, of who could the mole be and all of these and, and there's so there's so much mileage out of this type of movie where you've got a bunch a group of bad people but like there, there's gradations of bad you know what i mean you've got mr white who's mm-hmm. who's kind of like you know you, you'd see in like a western or a samurai film like he's got his nobility he's got his rules and then there's mr blonde who's just off the rails uh and then you've got mr pink who's just out for himself and you've got all these per- none of them are good people but they're all bouncing off of each other in different ways uh and it could easily be a stage play you could easily see a version of this um as a stage performance and it would ju- be just as compelling um, and I think one of the biggest selling points and the thing that's hooked me with a lot of Tarantino's work over the years is the, um, the repartee, the, the dialogue, the way people's mm-hmm. language bounces off of each other, the, what, what their language, what the way they speak says about them and who they are. Um, but yeah, I think for a long time, uh, since we've been doing this show, uh, you know, you've, you've brought up that you, there's Tarantino movies you haven't seen. And and obviously I'm a big proponent of of it. And then the name, uh, you know, the the pun, uh, Corn Tarantino came up, and uh, that was enough of an excuse for me to push for us to do this show. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, I'm I was more than happy to dive into it because I've got the time. There's no reason not to check out these movies. I have nothing against Tarantino. There's like 
some movies I love more than others, but there's none that I hate. <laughs> there's yeah. none that I dislike. I think as a kid, I actually did not like Kill Bill because I was like, this is way too violent. <laughs> like, also, <laughs> yeah. I was in a household where it's like, we watch Die Hard at Christmas, but like, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. There's a clear there, there's Oh, a yeah. Difference. There's, there's, uh, I, w- I think it's safe to say that Kill Bill's significantly more violent than, uh, Die Hard. Any, any Die Hard. Yes. Any, <laughs> any of them. Uh, yeah. So this was, I took this, uh, as a good opportunity. Also, yes, I fully agree with you that it is, this could be a stage play. Uh, I get a lot of vibes from 12 Angry Men, which I have not seen fully, but I am familiar enough with how 12 Angry Men Love uh, that runs. Movie. Uh, yeah, so I'm in, and that's also on our list of, because the point of this is to be uh, visiting Tarantino genre f- uh, films in chronological order, but also comparing them to films uh, that are beloved in that same genre. Yes. Maybe just by me. But yeah. also maybe other people too. But also just because, like you know, obviously I'm a big Tarantino fan. But hey, you know what? There's something here for everybody. You know what I mean? It's not you don't have to just be mm-hmm. into the Tarantino stuff. Does talk about other movies. Yeah. So, uh, but diving into Tarantino first because we will be talking about the Italian job. Sorry, I said I wouldn't do it again, and I <laughs> it just came right out of me. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, I think I would just for the sake of it, my only critiques up top. Um, one is not really of the movie, but it's about the culture around it because, like, this is clear. Like this, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, a lot of Tarantino's movies end up as posters in boys' dorm rooms. Oh yes, one hundred percent. And I can see every wrong thing that guys took from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> every wrong lesson that, like, you know, these are bad people, right? Yeah. Like, it's like you know, it's clear. Like from the top, they tell you get the vibe that, like, yeah, they're cool. They're wearing suits. Mm-hmm. They're they're bank robbers. Like there's something appealing about the story that we can all that literally universally audiences could fully understand. But we also need to acknowledge that all of them are bad people. <laughs> Maybe Mr. Orange, you could say, is more good, more just. But like he, I, I, there's. I'm excited to dive into it. We're not. We're doing full spoilers here. We're fully talking. Yeah, about this movie, movie came out in like 1992. So guess what? I mean, like you you missed the window on spoilers. We're just gonna dive right in. It, I think you so I, I don't know about you, Sam. I'm actually really interested oh. to know your thoughts when um I was watching the movie. Obviously the big thing is like who's the mole? And you spend the whole movie thinking the mole and not once did my brain go to the person that actually is the fucking mole. Like I didn't I, you know what I mean? I didn't uh, uh think about it once and so with the reveal it's eventually revealed that Mr. Orange is the cop. Uh, that is the mole, uh, which leads to my favorite. The, his flashback sequence is my favorite. Se- includes my favorite sequence in the movie, and is overall my favorite sequence in the movie. Um, did you did you suspect that it was him? No, I didn't. And also, I was like, eh, if it's anybody, I was like, maybe Mr. Pink. Yeah, because he's also like he's throwing the idea out there, but he's also like throwing the scent off a little bit. So you're like, ah, I can't tell. Like you know, like ah, I and maybe it's no one. Also, it's. I saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind two years ago for the first time, and all of a sudden you realize like all the touchstones for genres. Yes. Where you're like, oh, like this movie very much inspired a lot of people. Not just that, the whole scene with Mr. Blonde torturing the cop, where you're yep. like, oh, this this scene has been homaged directly or indirectly by minimum like a hundred different TV shows and movies. We literally like, just not- watched a movie that homaged that that specific scene in Bloodshot. Which one? Bloodshot. With with uh, when he's it yeah. li- it's like uh, I knew that it was like an homage to a bunch of those, but now watching Reservoir Dogs, I'm, I, look, it's like no, they just ripped off Reservoir Dogs in that scene for Bloodshot. 
Yeah, and like, and oh, no, no, not knocking them. It's very, very provocative and <laughs> uh, memorable scene. Yeah, uh, it it will inspire many feelings, mostly fear, and yes. disgust. It's it's a rough one, but Michael Madsen does do an amazing job as that role. Everyone does, yeah. and also I I don't think I've seen Harvey Keitel do um, a really meaty role just because I haven't seen those movies. Yeah, um, I've only seen him as. My first knowledge of him as an actor while I was watching something was National Treasure. He's just a detective in it. There's nothing special about it. But my dad was like, oh, it's Harvey Keitel. And I was like, well, that's a cool name. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. like, I remember that. But then now you see him in um, Wes Anderson movies. And he's amazing in them. He does a really good job. Like we just watched Moonrise Kingdom. And yep. so that was, which by the way, really good. If you want a good up, that's a good up yeah, movie. Yeah, that's that one a- feels good. And he's a scout leader in that. And like after seeing this movie, I'm like, wow, you did a great job. But maybe now you've you don't want to do movies like uh, Reservoir Dogs and you do movies that make you happy, like Wes Anderson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> movies that make him feel good. Yeah, I think... But uh, just to, really quick, just to cap off like my only criticism, because I want yes. to talk about just the positive. Yes. Uh, I can see all the wrong lessons that people took from this movie and like especially guys. Yeah. Because also there's other women, other actresses in this movie. I don't think, I don't remember no. any. Um, no. Uh, no. So it's like uh, boys will be boys kind of. I'm getting vibes like that and I, that's not the intent I don't believe that's the intent of Quentin Tarantino. I think it's just that people interpreted it how they did. I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong, but I, I think they've adapted wrong lessons from this movie. But that now that's outside of the film. A criticism of the film is, you know, like uh, Spike Lee and other people like have t- basically explained that like Quentin Tarantino writes the N-word so many times in his movies kind of as a pass <laughs> so that he can, so he can say as a, as a, as a criticism, it's also a joke. But this, since it's his first film, you're just hearing how many, uh, white guys are saying it. And it's like clearly bad guys, different time. Da 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 da. All yeah. just I'll knock off all the excuses. That being said, it's just like I wasn't perturbed by it. I wasn't overwhelmed by the use of it that much. I was just like, oh, come on, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like I was like, this became I, I, again bringing it back to the how the audience responded to it, which I guess does Quentin Tarantino is slightly responsible for. Like you can't fully control how the how your audience is going to respond to the thing that you make, yeah. but also you did make it. Um, <laughs> you also made the thing, but like I could hear how many, uh, white guys like used arguments like, or use this movie as maybe an argument for using that word too much. Yeah. But that being said, those are my only criticisms of the movie. I think besides though, and those are really not criticisms of the film. It's just how people responded to it. Um, I think this movie is a general, genuine masterpiece. It's beautiful. Uh, it's heartbreaking. And uh, especially Harvey Keitel's performance throughout the entire thing. Not that anyone has a... There's no weak performances. Yeah. Also, I've never seen Tim Roth not play, like, serious, gritty, like, I'm a detective or I'm a military player and I'm barely talking. I'm doing Tom Hardy grumble. Yeah. This yeah. was, like, um, him acting, acting. Like, his death scenes are like, wow, this is, like... Because it's not just he's dying. He's having a full-blown panic attack that he killed an innocent person. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, it's more, it's so much, there's so many layers to every single person's performance. I'm, I'm really bummed that you just don't get to know more about Harvey Keitel's character. You do know enough. Yeah. You don't get to know, there's no backstory for him, though. It's You get Mr. Blonde, you get, um, you get Mr. Orange, and then do you get somebody else? No, those are the three. The three flashbacks you get are Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, and, and Mr. Orange. And I think the trick with Mr. Orange, and I think the reason neither of us suspected him is because he starts the movie with a gut shot that you assume yeah. there is a line that tips it off that I've never caught before, but you assume he got shot by a cop. So when they're trying to figure out like, who's the cop? I was like, it can't be the guy that was shot by a cop. And then, like you said, when you see like what happened, you're like, oh, that blows. That, that sucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, and all, like it, I did like you hear the cops criticize him. It's like, oh yeah, you got to be an idiot to be undercover, and it's like, yeah, you get it. Yeah, <laughs> like it's because uh, you have to do, you have to make decisions that would not blow your cover, but also you are a human being and you are still a cop, so you cannot, you you just you are now going to go to jail regardless. Uh, wh- by the way, just to kind of get it out of the way too, what's your interpretation of the end of the film? Who do you think lived? out of this. I don't think anybody I lived. Didn't. Yeah, I don't think yeah. anybody lived. I think I think like um uh it's Mr. White and Mr. Orange is on the way out anyway because in that Mexican standoff at the end um uh he gets shot again uh on top of the gut shot he had from earlier and I think I think Mr. White kills him and then Mr. White's gunned down by the cops and then if you listen carefully while they're having that dramatic moment with Harvey Keitel, you can hear gunshots outside. So I don't think Mr. Pink makes it either. Oh, yeah, oh, that's interesting. I don't think like, I was like, maybe he gets away. But like, and I like Mr. Pink a lot where it's like, it's so clear. He's such a fucking rat. Yep. <laughs> he's such a he's such, like e- everything that comes out of his mouth. Every like, like even down to like the tipping thing where it's like you can understand part of the argument he's making. But it's also like you're not going out of your way to improve the situation. You're just saying like, well, I'm just not going to pay. I'm yeah. just not going to tip these people. And it's like you're not doing anything. You're a bank robber. What are you what hill are you dying on right yeah, now? He's entirely <laughs> self-serving. I think you uh, to go back to some of your criticisms. I think. um absolutely uh the it, it's definitely like a fight club type movie where sometimes when you're talking to a person you're like oh you didn't watch that movie right <laughs> you didn't you t- you pulled the wrong takeaways and i remember i think i even brought this up with you um there was a interview with tarantino around the time of once a time uh, once upon a time in hollywood where the interviewer um there's a there's a little bit of editorializing in the uh interview where she would talk to the audience basically and she's like you know i i I pressed him on his use of the because a lot of his movies django um uh, jackie brown um kill bill you promoted um actors of color and stuff like that and used uh actors uh, of color that had not been utilized a lot like in the case of pam greer uh, other careers had kind of diminished and so she kind of was talking to him about his use of the n-word in previous stuff and he kind of like evaded and moved on and she's like, you know, but it is challenging because it's supposed to be characters you like. And it, and for me, I put pause on that. I was like, I don't, to me, I think that's a sign to the audience like, hey, remember, because there's that scene where Mr. Orange sits down with uh, the, the police officer that's kind of like handling him, um, who's the one uh, black actor in the movie. And Mr. Orange is like, hey, listen, the guy that helped he, they're talking about a guy that helped him get undercover. He's like, be good to that guy because I wouldn't be undercover without him. And his, his officer's like, no, don't. That guy's trash. He's ratting on his friends. That guy, none of these guys are good guys. Don't forget that these guys are bad guys. You know what I mean? And I think with the language they're using, I think that's supposed to be a clue to the audience that like, hey, remember, these are not good dudes. That said, I will say there is a sequence in uh, Pulp Fiction that we'll get to soon where a character uses the N-word. I'm like, okay, that's, you can't defend that. That's, that, that's indefensible. In, in Reservoir Dogs, I, to me, it's a reminder that, that even Mr. White, um, as likable as he is, because uh, they're all to, they're all in, in, engaging, interesting characters. As likable as he is, he is a bad person. These are bad people, and Mister Orange forgets that, and that's part of the reason why he ends up in the situation that he's in. It's also worth noting, and I wish I could find this somewhere. If somebody knows where to find this, LACMA likes to do live dramatic readings of movies of, oh, of cool. classic movies, and there was one with an entirely black cast. Uh, Lawrence of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne was Mr. White. Terrence Howard was Mr. Blonde. Anthony Mackie was Mr. Pink. Cuba Gooding Jr. was Mr. Orange. Uh, Chi McBride was Joe Cabot. 
Um, Anthony Anderson was nice guy Eddie. And Common was both Mr. Brown and Officer Nash. And Patton Oswalt actually played Holdaway, Mr. Orange's uh, <laughs> uh, handler cop. And um, critic uh, Elvis Mitchell, who is black, who's a friend of Quentin Tarantino's, um, that he suggested that he liked the version of the script uh, was taking the, sor- the source material back to his roots because, quote, um, all the characters sound like black dudes. Uh, so I wish I could find that because when you're watching it, it's like, oh, that would be just like a stage play. There's multiple interpretations. There's multiple ways you could do it. Like I, I would very much like to see that version because I think it'd be a very interesting um, just take on the material. I fully agree. That actually sounds really cool. And I should keep an eye out because we always see like we have a few friends who are actors and whatnot. And sometimes they do like the nerdy reading of like Star Wars New Hope. You yeah, know, like, yeah, you yeah. always hear about that at like a at a bar, like a, a scum and villainy cantina. But I do want to say when you were describing those characters, we're like, I fully agree with you that like when the interviewer is talking about like, oh, these characters are supposed to like. No, you're not supposed to. And I think, yes, you could. There is an argument. I don't disagree with you with uh, their use of the N word to be like a signal to you. That they are, uh, um, that they are the bad guys. They're they scumbags. are bad guys. The, yeah, they're, they're the protagonists, but they are the they are scumbags. But uh, also, when you're describing it, it was funny because you said likable, but then it, like the word that clicked into my brain just to like fully like get it was charisma. Yeah, charisma is dangerous. Like charisma is what you want because those are the people who can get what they want. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they're good people. <laughs> they, it means that they know how to. In a night, in a very negative way, manipulate, and like that's why you are manipulated by this movie into liking these people. But really, it's it's dangerous charisma that is well executed by the actors and by the writer Quentin Tarantino and the way he's able to capture the movie. Um, that being said, uh, the entire exploration. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Chris Penn. I was like, whoa! Like two things came to mind. Like Penn, like Sean Penn. I looked him up and I realized what happened to Chris Penn is very unfortunate because it looks like drug addiction, but also heart disease and. Could have, which could have been spurred on by the drug addiction. Yeah. Because uh, he died in 2006, and that's really unfortunate. Um, I thought he did an amazing job as Nice Guy Eddie. I, uh, and I really liked him. But um, I did want to say as well, I get now, like when Jonah Hill was cast in Wolf of Wall Street, I was like, oh, you know, like he did a great, I think he did a great job. But like this character is really interesting. I've never seen something like this before. And now watching this, I'm like, oh, Jonah Hill can play that role. You know what? My or, like, wife literally said the like same him. thing. She's like, that's like Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's in in every positive way where it's yeah. more like these guys where it's like they don't look necessary, necessarily threatening until the writing's right yeah. and the scene's right where you have the whole confrontation where it's like Orange has killed Blonde yeah. and uh, and he's like, well, he was going to murder this cop. He's like, the cop right here? Yeah. <laughs> like he blows him away, which by the way, I do, there's something special about old movies and the way they use squibs yes. killing people where it's like the cop shot four times, but he's still like flexing his back even though his spine's like, bl- should be blown yeah. out of him. Like he's still like, ooh, ooh, and like it's not bad acting. It's just how movies were made different. Yeah, and also like and I do have a special place in my heart for that. Yeah, football <laughs> chunks are flying out of his chest. Like, like I missed because when I was just talking about, uh, we were talking about on uh, earlier that I was watching Altered Carbon, and there's a lot of use of like digital blood and digital gunfire and stuff like that. So when you see that, and you're like, yeah, man, I miss this shit, man. Like, have the full, I don't yeah. even know what's flying off, but like, have that, have that shit like flying in the air. Yeah, it's like, um, uh, it's something special where it's like there, there are good and bad 
ways to use this yeah. but i do enjoy it in the context of this movie also it's like it's just on the edge of when like movies started to look more like cinematic movies in the 90s i don't know if the if i can explain that right but the more hollywood-esque blockbuster feel where like this one still feels pretty grounded it's not i wouldn't call this an indie movie i wouldn't it's like it's too beloved and it feels like there's so many famous people in it that like it, it, it's a higher status than that. Yeah. But um, there is a feel to the movie, the grain of the film when it's captured, the audio, the, the way use of music and the, the way just the entire thing is captured is, is uh, it feels like this kind of like uh, special seventies, eighties era bottled type of movie. I, I'm getting off track here. I'm just saying I really enjoyed the aesthetic of the movie as a whole also makes me want to wear suits more. Yeah. Like white button ups, black uh, skinny ties, skinny ties, I know some people are like, oh, I can't wear them. It's like, you didn't find the right one. Yeah, you, you gotta find, find you right got to find the right skinny tie. I will say to your point about the independent movie, I get what you mean. Uh, but Empire if, uh, Empire Magazine was named the greatest independent film of all time. Um, and oh. um, a lot of these, a lot of that, Harvey Keitel was a name. This was actually, this isn't technically Tarantino's first movie. Um, uh, he shot a movie called uh, My Best Friend's Birthday which a majority of that film uh, mysteriously disappeared in a a film Mm -hmm. lab fire. And I have a running conspiracy theory that I think that was intentional. I think that maybe that movie wasn't very good and then Quentin Tarantino made made sure the prints of it were destroyed so none of us can really see it now. But yeah, um, uh, this script found its way in ways into the hands of Harvey Keitel. And he was a big reason that this movie got made. So he was the name, but a lot of the, like Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, they were, they weren't as well known as they are now um, prior to this. It's film. also on that. And speaking of just like seeing people in roles, I wouldn't normally Steve Buscemi has been Adam Sandler's comedic, like friend in almost <laughs> all of his movies for like a good better part of like two and a half decades but like and that's not a knock yes every time i watched a good adam sandler movie and he was in it i'd laugh at his roles like i thought he was funny like we all laughed at rob schneider at one point <laughs> not anymore <laughs> like uh, we're not watching deuce bigelow yeah but seeing Stu- steve buscemi in this serious role it was really inspiring to see the range that he had because of course like when you see him in something i'm never nervous to see like what's he gonna do yeah. you know, like can't he handle it but in this it was very cool to see what he was able to do with this kind of with this kind of role i thought he was perfect also like it, no offense steve buscemi if you thought of an animal they look like a rat yeah. is the first thing that comes to my head and so when he plays a rat you're like yeah i get it yeah like i get like the whole role you you that you you look like the guy who rats out the mafia in the mafia movie. You're the one guy that the the police are able to turn, and then they put a wire on you, and then you get caught with the wire and you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's, that's your, that role. your role. <laughs> yeah, I think the because really the movie pivots. Mr. Orange is obviously a big part of it, but like movie really pivots on Mr. White, Mr. Pink, and Mr. Blonde, and Harvey Keitel, Steve Buscemi, and Michael Madsen really like anchor the three aspects of criminal that you would find if you like this and they bounce off each other uh well i do have to say one of it's it's not only one of my favorite scenes in the movie but just one of my all-time favorite movie scenes is when um mr orange uh in the flashback is given the commode story and so he's practicing it's like three layers deep like you see him get the story then you see him practicing the lines then you see him telling the story and then you're actually in the story as he's telling it and specifically the scene where he walks in the bathroom and all the cops like turn and look at him 
And it's one of those beautiful moments where like suddenly you forget that this is a this is bullshit. Like the story <laughs> didn't really happen. And mm-hmm. uh, and you're like in it with him, you're like, oh, how's he gonna get out of it? And then I love the moment when the cops turn back and the one cop starts talking and he sounds like the whitest and I'm like, you better get your hands off that dash. I like how much of a dweeb he sounds like. I the whole that whole routine is one of my all time favorite movie moments. And every time we get to it in this movie, I'm like, oh man, I love it so much. Oh yeah, no, it was a really cool moment because also you see like the bullshit of like of this story. They're like, oh, it's a good anecdote, and you're like, when you listen to it, you're like, it's okay <laughs> because it's like four cops and a and a dog are in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it, it doesn't matter because it's more about the absurdity of the story that he was able to get out of, and he looks like a badass, or or it's just something that like, oh, you almost fucked up, but you didn't. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're a reliable guy. Like that's that's all the whole pur- the whole purpose is just to win trust, not for someone to do the continuity check on it <laughs> and like yeah. that's what's and it's also what's great about it like i love the details when it comes to like building a lie like that where it's like it's it's like yeah if you want to try to sell a lie you got to have every detail and you got to believe every part of it like what's the hand warmers or do they have paper towels yeah. or do is someone just like have diarrhea in the, in the toilet and not clean it up like it, what what's What's it smell like? What's the what's the lighting? Was it fluorescent or was it a, like a regular uh, lighting that maybe a bulb's out? Like I love all the details there. It's a really cool scene to talk about like how hard it is to be an undercover cop and why so many cops don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> like why like so many would be a- averse to doing it. And I do like uh, also just another positive because also we should get into talking about Italian Japanese. Yes. In a second, another cinematic also, classic. Oh, yes. But um, Mr. Pink, when he talks about, like, oh, yeah, I shot my way out of there with the cops. And it was like, he kind of did. Yeah, yeah, You more ran immediately, and then you fired at some cops, and you beat the shit out of a lady, and then you stole her car. Like, yep. you're not, like, a hero here. Well, you talk about things. <laughs> you're not, like. Yeah, you talk about people, things people take from this movie. That scene where he's, like, shooting with the cops, and he pulls the uh, um, lady out of the car. You're like, and then it's here that the entire Grand Theft Auto franchise was born. In this mm-hmm. in this movie oh, yeah. scene is is where it all comes from. So, what would you rate uh, before we transition to Italian Job? What would you rate Reservoir Dogs? Oh, well, I mean, in comparing it to Italian Job, five out of ten. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, guess yeah. it's by itself. By itself. Um, by itself. No, it's nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Yeah. I think uh, the criticism that I have while they are outside of the film influenced how i watched it and i just have to be honest about that yeah you know like i'm not like trying to say that my opinion is like bigger than it is but i do have to say that it did affect how i watched the movie when i had those ideas yeah but i think just if you go down to the like analytical way that this film was structured and produced and brought to life like it's a 10 out of 10 but like i'd give it a 9 out of 10 uh and it's like a 9.1 this is an a this is like an a and a solid a um and I would happily revisit this movie because it's so in there's so much to gain from it from I'm gonna guess multiple viewings in a yeah. totally different way, knives out, rewatch it for the f- this is my fourth viewing since seeing it. Press screening, buying a ticket to go see it, seeing it twice in theaters and now watching it again. There's even more things I just realized that were hidden in the movie, yeah. which were pretty cool. So I'm very excited to revisit this to catch more hints to maybe Mr. Orange or more details about Mr. Blonde being a fucking freak. Like, because yeah. he's, he's like, oh, he just got out of prison. He, he did a solid for us. And you're like, no, nah, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, he's still like a bad guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, you talk he's still about a the, very bad man. You talk about that dangerous charisma. Like they all agree, Mr. Pink and Mr. White agree that he's super dangerous. And then yet somehow Mr. Blonde is still able to get them back on his side for a minute. 
And it's mm-hmm. not till later you realize, like, oh, this guy is a stone cold psycho. Like he really, he, he genuinely has a screw loose. I agree with you. I would give it like I'd probably give it a nine point five just because I have a lot of love and history with this movie. Um, so and it was and you know when you associate a movie with like a special time in your life where you're like awakening to what movies could and can be. Um, so I will, I will always love this movie. I, I rewatch it uh, fairly regularly. And like you said, I'm still getting stuff out of it, but now let's go to another, just, you know, another iconic film. Uh, I Real think quick, we say. Catherine Richard- Oh, very true. Yeah. But uh, Catherine Richardson said in the chat, I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. I've never seen a Tarantino movie. Watch with us. Well, this is a perfect perfect time. You can join with us. Uh, by the way, next week, what, what Tarantino movie are we going to be watching? So we're watching them. Uh, I wanted to choose um, the canonical, not just the ones he directed, but ones that still kind of like matter to his universe. And so we're going to be watching True Romance. Um, because, and in fact, Reservoir Dogs actually has a direct reference to a character in True Romance. Um, when oh, Mr. Cool. When Mr. White's talking about Alabama, um, the the lady thief that he worked with for a while, that is a character in True Romance, um, and um, uh, so that film was not directed by Quentin Tarantino, but it's still something that he like accepts. Like Natural Born Killers, he's kind of like, oh, they there's only one scene in that movie that's actually the scene he wrote. The rest is mm-hmm. is uh, Oliver Stone's uh, bullshit. Uh, True Romance is still kind of his movie. Um, so we're going to be watching True Romance. And what what movie did you decide to pair with True Romance, Sam? Oh, you mean one of the greatest movies of all time? The movie I've been begging <laughs> to watch for uh, for years now. Yes. We're going to watch About Time. Oh, yeah, oh, baby. Oh, boys and girls. And also, Danny Boy uh, tweeted at me. He said that Netflix Party is an option where we can group watch together. Uh, we are going to vote on the movie to watch next week uh, for, like, for like a Disney property. But I will throw out there and see when you guys might – if you guys are interested in watching About Time – uh, as a Netflix party, where we can all sync up and watch it together. It I'm would down. be pretty fun. I'm down. I'm totally yeah, down. So uh, keep keep an eye on that. Also, Danny M in the chat asks which Tarantino movie aligns with National Treasure, since I mentioned Harvey Keitel in that. I mean, well, no, I don't know. It's a heist movie, right? National Treasure is a heist movie. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, it is. So I guess Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Harvey Keitel. That's a good connecting, and also good connection. And Danny M also, according to Facebook, I was watching Italian Job today four years ago. Well, happy birthday! Let's dive into <laughs> a, the Italian Job 2003 remake. Of course, here's your synopsis for the folks at home that aren't familiar with it. Came out May 30th, 2003, after being betrayed and left for dead in Italy. Charlie Croker and his team plan an elaborate gold heist against their former ally. Now, this was directed by F. Gary Gray, and you can see a lot of touchstones for the way he directs movies in the future. Yes. I will say I don't dislike F. Gary Gray. I liked... Because I believe... He did... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Straight Outta Compton, he had a hand in that. He directed Straight Outta Compton. He also directed Fate of the Furious, which was the eighth yes. Fast and Furious movie. And he also uh, did Men in Black International. But you know what? We don't need to live in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I don't. But uh, there are some some of the faults of this movie I could I can see in Men in Black International. He also I can did see those surfacing. Yeah, he also did um, Friday, which is a very good movie that I recommend. Oh, okay, so cool. So no, yeah, his hey, you know what? Not all directors can have uh, the the records that Quentin Tarantino and others have had. Yes, um, but this movie stars Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, Donald Sutherland, Jason Statham, Seth Green. Uh, I, I will say Moe's Deaf. His name is now Yassine Bey. Bey. Yes. Uh, and Edward Norton, which I have a very fun quote to read from uh, Mr. Eddie Norton. <laughs> I'm excited uh, about for that. this film. So 
full uh, transparency, uh, I think this movie kicks a lot of ass. Yes. Uh, I think there's there's more faults now as for the jobs that we have and the lives that we've lived in <laughs> being more critical of films. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I That's can fair. see so many more faults uh, with this film, just politically and also story-wise. <laughs> stunts and continuity and acting yeah, yeah <laughs> like there's yeah. like there's problems um but that being said it's still something i really enjoy i enjoy it on the level that i enjoy like die hard um because it's just fun like i have a yeah, lot of fun with this movie it's just real and quick the, just the, to get this out of there die hard significantly a significantly better movie <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah but no it, it's the the level of enjoyment i have watching both of them got it is equi- is equal in my brain it, one is better. Yes. <laughs> one is. But I, I, if you, if I had to choose, I'd be pretty tough picking which one I wanted to watch. Gotcha, uh, gotcha, gotcha. In a quarantine. Uh, so, um, and uh, yeah, and also this was a movie where my younger brother and my dad and I went and got to see it in theaters. So that was like really, it was a really fun memory because we all came out of the movie being like, can you believe in me, Cooper's in the sewer? And we're like <laughs> losing our minds. Like we were having such a good time with this movie that I, I it's never really going to, I'm never going to categorize this as like a bad movie in my brain really yeah. because of all of the good happy memories i have from this from watching this as a kid now i do i'm i'm led to believe you've never seen this movie before uh this week no 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 i did i watched it uh, i watched it around the time it came out i don't think i saw it in theaters i think i saw it on dvd um but uh but i saw it around the time it came out but i definitely have not revisited it since same i mean maybe i watched it a couple times like on DVD, but it was before 2010. Yes. I've not watched it in the, in the teens. You know what is interesting? Another, so obviously we're, we're selecting this because it's a heist movie. It's a more traditional heist movie than Reservoir Dogs is, but it is a heist movie like Reservoir Dogs, but it also shares with Reservoir Dogs. It has a lot of actors like before they became like, they, they, these people were stars, but they became like massive. Like uh, Mark Wahlberg's star was already on the rise because of Boogie Nights and stuff like that. But this is watching this. The thing that stood out to me most was like, oh, yeah, this is pre Oscar Charlize Theron because she's just playing the girl. You know what I mean? And now yeah. it's like you would never, you would never in a million years cast Charlize Theron as just the girl. That's Oscar winner Charlize Theron. Like, come on. But also, uh, like Jason Statham, like I, I forgot he was even in this movie. And now it's like he's headlining one of the biggest, like, he's in the Meg. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a, he has his own franchise movies, and also it's uh, Jason Statham with hair, with yes. a little bit of hair, and you're like, oh, like you're probably balding, and that's okay. Like, no, no knocking, but you did figure out after this, the bald look is very marketable. Yes, it's a very marketable look for you. It's like when the Rock grows hair, you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, what's going on? The bald's great. Yeah, yeah, go back yeah. to that. I do. A mutual friend of ours, uh, Owen, always had the theories with Bruce Willis that, like, there's completely bald Bruce Willis, which those movies are kind of bullshit. And there's Bruce Willis with a little bit of hair. And those are when he's actually trying to act. And and I've never been able to let go of that. And so every time I see, like, when he shows up in a Wes Anderson movie, you see the hair, you're like, yep, that's so far the rules holding true. That's very. That's a very good point. I can't wait to see when Nick Cage finally embraces not having to wear that toupee. Yes, uh, uh, and finally goes bald because I think he would like a Lex Luthor role. I think One, he'd be a very interesting choice. One hundred percent. One hundred. Now that being that being said, let's uh, dive into this movie. Very simple premise. Like I, I think the elements to like in this movie are similar elements to like in a fast and the furious movie where it's like who gives a shit about the goddamn story yes you like that's who knows what happens in those movies i don't i don't know what happens in tokyo drift but they drift (laughs) yes and that's all that matters yeah if you told me Um, that this was in continuity with the fast movies i'd be like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh sure sure, why not yeah yeah 
which it kind of is because they did a nod to it with Jason Statham. He's like, oh yeah, that was the job I did in L.A. where he that's, ran into a Mini Cooper. That's right. I do remember that. That was in uh, Hobbs and Shaw, right? Yep. That's and I think so that's funny. fair to say that there's maybe a connection. Who's to say? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I. Uh, uh, I still very much enjoy this movie. Negatives off top, besides <laughs> like uh, I'll get to Edward Norton stuff in a second because I don't think he does a bad job in this movie. No, he's fine, but it's fun. The, yeah, it's fine. It's serviceable. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those ones. It's like, what are you doing here? Yep. <laughs> like, yes. what are you doing yep. here? Uh, for real, uh, you have to ask yourself. Uh, I think Seth Green does a good job acting, but his role is the same role he had for like most of the '90s and early 2000s, where it's like he's nerdy angsty guy who's like the nerd that's like always horny and like just needs and like i don't know sports what is i don't wait football what is that a type of game you know like that kind of it's like speak english a nerd you know like yeah. that kind of stuff where it serves the purpose of the genre i think uh i think he doesn't do a bad job i think most deaf does is my favorite character in the movie agreed i think mark Wahlberg um actually does a really good job as a lead where he's trying to play something serious he's like what 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 he's not doing that face at yeah. all or he's not like looking around confused at what a Transformers is doing yeah this is 100% before he this is coming off Boogie Nights and but before he would just phone in a role like this like Mark Wahlberg now would have not tried for this movie yeah and it's it's got a lot of genre problems with like blockbusters like getting it from the 90s and getting out of the 90s yeah uh, like with Handsome Rob where it's like women are like literally just like their clothes are exploding when they're near him yep. <laughs> and like you're like oh okay yeah. and like uh, also big knock to this movie is the whole like speakers that blow a woman's clothes off and uh uh the he was clearly phone tapping his exes and recording their phone calls yep. you're like wow you that, are a monster that's played for <laughs> jokes. i will say uh would it surprise you to learn that adolescent dj the one thing that stuck with him was like yeah he had that speaker that blew a woman's clothes off like in the logistics of yeah. it just kind of baffled me as like, i was like how does that work yeah, she also like shit herself and like her eyes stopped working for a little bit. And she can't hear, but like, but yeah, her clothes got knocked off. Isn't, <laughs> yeah, she's isn't naked, that cool. Though. She's naked while she's shitting herself in your room. <laughs> like, yeah, that's super cool, dude. Um, no, but as a kid, same. Where it's yeah. like, wait, what the? Why? Why are we obsessed with this? Yeah. Like, I thought Mos Def had the most interesting character traits. Like yeah. Jason Statham, whenever he spoke, was fun. Yes, and that he his that character for him is great, but. Uh, 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 but for like Mo's, like I like the idea that he's the explosive expert. Uh, I like the scene where they're trying to put the pin into the bomb when they're putting the explosive under the the sit the the street in L.A. Yeah, like I like those little moments that he gets where it's like I'm gonna pray right now because mm-hmm. if I fuck this up, yeah, <laughs> we're both dead and everyone's dead. Yeah, um, I, I like those little moments and also the way the heist worked as a kid. I even now I was like, wait, where'd the safe go? Like when they did the heist in Venice. Yes. Um. Where I was like, wait, what? How? Wait, you dropped a three thousand pound safe onto a boat? Yep. You're <laughs> like, wait, you're like, no, they did. Yeah, and then they they don't. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's a pretty solid reveal. Yeah, and like even when you watch it again, you see them putting together the heist. You're like, oh, they do enough of showing you the bits without showing you the without having to explain it outright yes. to you. Like a, the way a Star Trek episode would try to explain a scientific concept to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and I so I think I, I like that little bit of trust in the audience that you can just like let them tell you the story and let you show it to you and you get it. It makes safe cracking look really cool. Yes. Um, I have to doubt that any kind of crew like this would ever exist in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> that there would be a crew. But I do like this genre of movie where you have the the excuse me, I had a burp. Uh, the heist crew that like um that works together and does these heists together and behaves like a family, but not the way the 
Fast and Furious Fast and the Furious franchise does, this actually feels like a family. Yeah, this yeah. actually feels like people who go to dinner together. Yeah, <laughs> they do pick up basketball together and they hang out. But that being said, what did you think about the rewatch? Because so, I still haven't gotten to my full feelings, but go on. Yeah. What did, what did you, what? So for me, like it, it was fun rewatching and I do have fond memories of this movie because you know, you're younger and you don't have the like the history like uh, with stuff. But I, I, I knew the type of movie I was getting into when the, the opening heist has a very traditional score. It's fun and it's engaging. Uh, uh, um, Edward Norton is immediately like, if you didn't know he was the bad guy, he's telegraphing a mile away like, hey, I'm going to be the bad guy in about 10 minutes. Um, yeah. But I like that Great. once. So, so I watched this with my wife and she likes having subtitles on. And so the, the, this, this traditional classic movie scores playing. And then I think it's when they cut to the Alps that like this, this like synth, uh, early two thousands music kicks in and, uh, Tomb Raider. Yeah. And then, (laughs) and then the subtitle kicks in man scatting. And you're like, yep, this is the, this is the movie we're in for. This is that, that was a, that was, that was misleading. That's not the movie you're watching. That's an homage to the movie that came before. Now we're into early two thousands, uh, everything's like edgy and cool and and all that stuff but i listen i enjoy that stuff i like the whole like here's the heist team uh weirdly the the most preposterous thing is the stuff with the stoplights and that is actually from the original 1960 italian job um oh i will say this i told i told sam this before we started recording but i need to say it here as well i had a full-on mandela effect moment watching this movie because i could hand to uh, hand to god i could swear that they i remember the mini coopers being in the house that at some point they actually have to drive the mini coopers through the house and and in the movie it's just they're practicing it it's the idea of it and then they don't and to the point where I had to look up online, like, did this happen? And clearly it didn't. I guess I just conflated in my brain the the idea of Mini Coopers in the house was so audacious to me that my brain just went ahead and created the scene that doesn't exist in the movie. Um, but yeah, the, the chases are fun. Um, I The characters, like even Mark Wahlberg, who's playing your traditional, I'm the leader guy. The the group is fun. There was a long time that there were rumors they were going to make a sequel called The Brazilian Job. Um, that of course has never come. It's it's, it's never come. It's never going to come. It never happened. But you could see why you'd want to spend more times with with, the, with these characters, and you can see why even though Fast and Furious is kind of a contemporary of this, like why this that Fast and Furious kind of like became what it became because of movies like this and found that success in the heist formula, the heist with cars. Um, formula and it's fun i will i i personally favorite parts are all the little characters the ukrainian gold dealer that uh ed norton has to deal with and all his conspiracy theories that are actually not like are actually kind of true like they're not actually that out there you know all that stuff it's like uh and, and then um skinny pete all the bits with Skinny Pete, I think, are great. All the all those little side characters, it's like I think they're actually planning on making like an Italian job TV series. And it's like, yeah, if you can populate it with a weirdos like this, I would watch the hell out of that series. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and you know what? The only positive I think I can give this over Reservoir Dogs is that there there is a, a female in this movie. There is one. <laughs> there is a woman. In this movie, there is one, but how? Yeah. How is she a cable person? What? Yeah, that one's. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, no, it's got a lot of like antiquated 
uh, thoughts and opinions about stuff like that, especially coming from Seth Green, um, <laughs> his character. Yes. Seth Green's character, be clear. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. not trying to disparage Seth Green. I like Robot Chicken. I like um, that when... I oh, like Without a Paddle. Yeah. I also, I like like when Mark Wahlberg punches Edward Norton. You know, he just straight punches him. But later we give Charlize Theron the moment. We have to have her like wince because she's a girl. Like, oh, punching hurts. You know what I mean? By the way, throwback to Reservoir Dogs, one of my favorite bits is when Mr. Pink tries to punch the cop and he clearly hurts himself more than he hurts the cop. (laughs) Oh, by the way, so uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the Edward Norton dinner scene with Charlie Theron. Agreed. I like that he doesn't, it's been like 10-ish years or something. It's been been a long enough amount of time that Edward Norton may may not have ever met Charlie's Theron, he was just familiar with who she was. Maybe saw a photo. Yes. So I like the idea that he is suspicious of her. Uh, and I like the reveal. And I like how that whole scene goes. I like the dinner scene where it's like, oh, we, this is our heat yeah, diner scene. Exactly. Boys. And it's like, and it's, only, it's not. But it's still a good scene. And it's the only time Edward Norton actually gets to do something. Actually, mm-hmm. Wait, gets, what do you mean? Gets to act like at all. What about when he flies the helicopter and stops the car from driving down the road? That is that shit. That is the most insane. When he flies the helicopter under the underpass, you're like, this is insane. This is this is great. This is bananas. You had an anecdote you wanted to share about Edward Norton. Oh, oh, please, may I? From IMDb, Edward Norton made it clear uh, that his participation in this film was a result of a contractual obligation, not choice. He had signed a three-picture deal with Paramount, of which Primal Fear, his breakthrough movie, was the first. He kept dismissing scripts from the other two films of the deal until Paramount coerced him into accepting the role in this film. Norton did not hide his misery on set, clashing with the crew throughout it, and when the producer handed out gifts to the cast over the movie's surprisingly strong box office performance, Norton returned the gift with the note stating, Give this to someone you actually like, or someone who actually likes you. Sounds so pleasant. Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I'll say, I do like Edward Norton in movies. Yes. I do enjoy him. And sometimes if I hear he's in a movie, I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll check it out. Um, and then if I believe that and saw this movie as an adult, I'm like, oh, he just does movies for paychecks. That's okay. Yeah. Um, that, that's fine. He's got to pay his, got to pay his bills, but I got to pay for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, it's very clear in this movie that he seems about, it's like his brain is 10 steps back from the entire group of people the whole time yeah. where he's got his own little bubble. Like even when he's talking with the group where he's like, Oh, I'll just take one of each year's where he's like, yeah, clearly he's being bad guy. Yeah. And like, but even when he's delivering the line, it's not a bad line delivery. It just doesn't sound connected with what's happening. Yep. And with anything happening in the scene, that being said, uh, there's like some sloppy parts in the movie, but if you look at it, the way that fast and the furious movies are viewed by me, and probably <laughs> other people, uh, that they are stunts surrounded by, filler yeah and the same with mission impossible movies that's how i feel with this even though there are some good moments where i think i'm like oh i i'm connecting with the characters it's really cool seeing donald sutherland and mark Wahlberg having this really cool scene in venice as a kid seeing venice like that for the first time i was like wait what kind of scene is this yeah yeah wait you build this all water you don't have cars you guys just got boats i won't go there yeah really cool a lot of stuff clicks for me and there there's uh a, a lot to love here um, with a equal, maybe even more glaring faults than I remembered from when I was a kid. So if I were to rate it, I'd give it like a seven out of ten. I think that's a. I think it's a I more fair, fair review for me. Yeah, because it's like nothing about it I hate. I just think it's like either subpar or it's like oof. Thank God we didn't hang out on this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I will say last little fun anecdote. Um, Seth Green's characters 
background it deals a lot with Napster. Like a shocking, like I remember it was a joke in the movie. I didn't realize like that was his character's like that and being skeevy around women was like his one bit. Uh, yeah. they, when they show the flashback of Napster being stolen from him, that is actually Sean Fanning, the creator of Napster. Wow. Yeah, that's his, that's, that's- his uh, 15 minutes of fame or whatever. Um, Wait, really quick, and j- to make sure I get this right, that Sean went on to be Facebook Sean, right? I don't think so. I don't think he did. Am I, am on, I wrong? Sorry, I, I thought. I thought this. I, wait, I wait, wait. Um, let's let's double check. We can we can find this out. Hold on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. So just look up Social Network and whoever Justin Timberlake played. That one hundred percent. You and I are thinking of the same person because I I had the same thought, and when I looked it up, um, I couldn't find it. Well, what the hell? Where's Justin Timberlake? IMDb dropping the ball right now. Oh yeah, they, it's weird how they sometimes prioritize characters. Sean Parker. Justin Timberlake Sean playing Parker. Sean Parker. Who I, he had a, a hand in in things. Yeah, he he had uh Sean Parker, man, people that are uh love the silver oh, even Napster. Oh, he co yeah, he was a part of Napster too. Okay. So that's we're not completely off off base. But different okay, Sean. Okay. Okay. Different Sean. Uh, probably not a good person yeah. <laughs> if I had to guess. Um, but uh, I think the yeah no I um I had a final thought I can't remember what it was. But anyways, uh, Sean Parker is the guy in this movie. No, he's not in this. Movie. No, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not. Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, Sean oh, not, it was. I was working my way back. There's that scene where they have the meetup where you get the origin story for each of the characters. Yes, and Seth Green walks up and he stands next to Mark Wahlberg and all these other people. And they're the same height. And I was like, whoa, they're all on. They all have heel risers because I've yep. stood next to Seth Green. He is a petite man. Yeah, I had not to- knocking. It was just very clear that like the, some of these people have risers in their shoes or they're all very short people. Yes, I had to look it up because uh, there was a scene where um, Mark Wahlberg is talking with Charlize Theron. And he turns around and you realize the way they're framing it is they're supposed to be the same height. And I was like, that's not true, though. That's I know that's not true. And uh, yeah, lo, the, lo and behold, Mark Wahlberg is two inches shorter than Charlize Theron because she is she is not a she's a she's a tall woman, um, yeah, and there's especially a, in the world of the, acting. In, he's talked about that. He's he did have risers on. He's like talked about it in that movie yeah, so yeah. that he can be taller because he's like leading man. Yeah. So I uh, got to be taller. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so but when, not knocking him. That it happens, but um, overall, both these movies I found enjoyable. One is objectively better, <laughs> just as a film, top to bottom. But other one has way more car chase scenes yeah. with Mini Coopers, and I still kind of want an old style nineteen seventies Mini Cooper because of it. The new ones are cool. Yes. But that old one that Charlie Theron drives, I was like, oh god, that's so cool. Yeah, and I do recommend um, if anybody gets a chance to check out the original nineteen sixties version. It has a very iconic ending. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, a lot of fun. I, I agree with you, your review. I give it a seven. Um, I'm glad we're able to do this. Cause again, listen, we call it quarantine for a reason. We're all quarantined. It's a good opportunity to watch movies we like or movies we want to revisit. Like Sam mentioned earlier, um, next week we're going to be doing true romance and, uh, about time. <laughs> um, oh, Man, I'm so excited. Uh, I Fuck, do. I, this movie fucking I feel like cool. this is, uh, you already know this, Sam, but I do want to make it clear, even though the movie's called True Romance, it is not a traditional romance. 
I oh no, I I figured, okay. and also I'm going to figure that I'm going to still like about time more than true. That, you know what? That's completely <laughs> fair. That's completely fair because the beauty of this, uh, something I like about what we do, is an opportunity to watch things we haven't watched before. So I've never seen about time. You've always been telling me about it, so now it's finally an opportunity for me to see it. Um, in an in at an opportunity where. Uh, it's my job. I have to. I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to. And you're stuck inside. I, you can't I, get away. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I can't. So, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And I hope you all will continue to join us, watch these movies with us. Um, and in the comments, um, feel free to talk about what you're doing for the quarantine or what you think about the movies. And if you're on patreon.com slash only stupid answers, you can join us on our Discord thread where we're talking about what we're up to during the quarantine. Sam? I was I was thrown to you, Sam. Do you want to oh, have final uh, yeah. thoughts? No, so, no. Please join us, and uh, we've got polls on Patreon, and also I, for myself. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Sam Basher, I'm going to be tweeting out. I'm going to might be doing some like little like Twitch shows where we're like lightly reviewing things, or I'm just showing you guys free things you can do right now. Uh, just to kind of fill your time if you'd like to check out some fun positive stuff because uh, we've spread a lot of positivity here but I kind of wanted to give it a shot on Twitch and on uh, YouTube as well so keep an eye out for that make sure you follow at DJ uh, Talks Trash That's everywhere me. that matters and at Only Stupid Answers on Twitter you ain't got the vowels from stupid bing bing boom gang thank you for joining us uh, times are tricky right now they're not super fun but uh, hopefully you got some enjoyment from this episode and also watching along with us so please watch about time with uh, me next week and ta- join us <laughs> to talk about true romance I haven't looked to see if we can watch true, true romance together I just know we can watch about time together we should do it so please, I'm excited about it join us I'm very excited so please join us then and we'll see you guys next time Bye-bye. bye bye bye